So we lived on the northeast corner of Central Park, 109th and 5th Avenue. Molly was working at Goldman Sachs. We were full on kind of doing the professional world thing. Uh, we were using birth control. We did had no plans for children. My fourth year of medical school, Drew was born. We caught a vision for having children in the city. And we thought, wow, this is kind of incredible. There's so many opportunities and resources. And we went out to dinner for our 10th anniversary. And Eric's oh, like... No. I don't want any more children. I'm like, what? We, we really, I love having children. Eric one day came to me. He's like, I was so wrong. Like, why wouldn't we have as many children as God would give us? If children are a blessing, like who doesn't want a blessing? In the book, he just talks about training children with basically a lot of farm work. I couldn't relate because we didn't have horses or cows or pigs. What I realized that you can use all kinds of things to train your children to be disciplined and for hard work. Folks, we just finished up this interview with Dr. Lilia and his wife, Molly Lilia. They are dear friends of ours. We look up to them so much. And you're going to learn so much in this conversation, 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 not just about them, but about family, about having a vibrant marriage. Katie and I, even though we just finished the interview with Molly and Eric, we just can't stop talking about our takeaways mm -hmm. from it. So we are so encouraged. Quick bio. And I, I, I will say this before I tell you bit about them. We will link uh, their website, drafoot.com, their Facebook page and their Google page in the show notes so that you can find out more about the current work that they are doing. But Eric and Lily have been married for 23 years. They have 10 children. They are now grandparents. They're expecting their second grandchild here at the end of the month, which is pretty exciting. Uh, they started their family in New York City, then moved their family to Seattle. And they live really kind of like in a vibrant, I say vibrant, a very busy area of downtown Seattle, well, the U District of Seattle. And, uh, and yet they've found a way to not just survive as a Christian homeschool family, but to truly thrive there. Their kids are an inspiration to us. Their home culture is an inspiration to us. And so we've been wanting to have this conversation for years, ever since we met them and were able to visit their home in Seattle, because we knew that there were going to be so many insights and, and tips and tactics that we could learn from their parenting philosophy and how intentional, as a result of how intentional that they, they've been in that. And their story's just getting going as you're going to be hearing uh, lots of exciting things happening for them. Katie, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think something that stuck out to me is that they had a major plot twist in their 50s. Mm. As grandparents, you know, you would think as a successful surgeon, um, their life was just set, you know, from the time they were in their 20s. And it's so cool to see how just in their language, they communicate everything is an opportunity. Everything's a part of God's plan. Everything is a bright, hopeful future. And they just have so much joy between the two of them, um, regardless of what life throws at them and what God allows. And so I'm just so encouraged in the bedrock of their life being Christ. I want to establish that. And I'm also just so encouraged how they're raising just incredibly uh, incredible individuals within their family that are going out and raising other families. They've home educated all their children. Um, you guys will hear more of their story. I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear their story because it is just very inspirational to me, very um, challenging. And yeah, like I want them to mentor us more and more and more as we continue to go through our parenting I hope you guys are okay with that. <laughs> well, yes. And um, I hope you guys get to enjoy this bit of mentoring from someone who's been ahead. Uh 
but now that we're a family podcast. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Lilia, I tell you what, this is such a treat for Katie and I. We've both looked up to you for some time now. I mean, really since we met you, which is maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And there are so many admirable fruits in your life that we look to as being something that we aspire to. And so it's a real treat for us to sit down with you. Again, we've been able to meet in person and have conversations in person, but I know our audience is going to get a ton from you just as Katie and I are going to get a ton from you, but a lot of our audience might not be familiar with you. So could you, you know, we're going to hear some of your backstory. We're going to hear about your life, but could you give us like a current day, you know, quick bio, like what's going on in the Lilia family in, you know, February, 2024? Well, those are such kind words, and please know that we admire you two as a young couple. Mm -hmm. And as fun as it is to pour into younger couples, it is such a blessing to see young couples taking the bulls by the horn and running and living intentionally. So it's a pleasure to be here with you two, and we appreciate the opportunity. Mm. You know, you ask how we're doing, and and I'm hearing the footsteps running around upstairs. (laughs) So we have a a full life uh, and a life full of life. So we have 10 children. Our oldest is 24. Our youngest is six. And the mix is eight boys and two girls. And within the last year and a half, we've welcomed in our first grandchild, our our granddaughter, Vienna. And that is a wonderful blessing. And fortunately, she does not live far away. So it's not uncommon that they're up on weekends and we still get to share life with our son and now his family, his wife, Natalie, and their daughter again. So that's a big encouragement. Wow. I love that. You know, I got to see a couple of your kiddos just maybe a couple months ago. They came to one of our Christmas concerts and they were kind of telling me about the dynamic because uh, it's Drew, right? That's your oldest that has the child and he's uh, he's serving right now. Is that right? In the military. And he's stationed Lewis McCord. And you guys live just north of there, right, in Seattle. And how long have you guys been living in Seattle? So we've been living in Seattle for actually 23 years. Drew was just 10 months old when we moved here from New York City. And then we've been living actually in this house for 20 years, which is really um, just about a mile from the University of Washington. So we're really what you would consider the U District, Green Lake area of Seattle. And so, yeah, Drew's just an hour away from us. He thought he was going to you know, maybe go live anywhere in the world, but he ended up in Tacoma, just 45 minutes, an hour from us. So we're super happy about that. And then um, our son, Zachary is 22 and he lives in Portland. Um, He works for, he graduated from the University of Washington also as did our oldest son and he is working in sales. So he lives down there. We're kind of miss him a lot, but He's happy to be pursuing life. And then our daughter, Ella, is 21, and she lives here. And then our son, is Daniel, is 19, and he is um, pursuing engineering. He's at um, North Seattle College right now um, looking for a degree in mechanical engineering. And then the rest are homeschooled. Uh, So Toby is 16, and David is 14. And Jeremiah is 13, and Peter is 11, and Hannah is nine, and then our baby Luke is six. Wow, that is just so fun to get that rundown. And as you're saying these things, my homeschooling brain is like popping off with so many questions. (laughs) So I'm glad I know you in person. I mean, especially with boys and homeschooling boys as a, obviously it's a dual experience. Both parents are involved, but you're the primary one at home. And 
I don't know. I feel like I'm already running into challenges. So anyways, I'm just, I need to pick your brain on that in person next time we see you. It's so fun that you brought up Daniel because Daniel instilled so much confidence into Elisha and I when we first started Boatberg Music Academy and we did the first free month because we didn't know if it would work at all. And then he got up there, he sent us a video you sent us a video of him and I don't know how old he was at the time with this like beaming face. I think he was only 10. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. I just like ripping on his guitar and getting up in front of, I don't know, was it his homeschool group or something like leading worship? And we were both just like, this works, this works. <laughs> so Daniel was like her poster boy. Yeah. So much music and he leads worship and has written songs and yeah, he's, it's a, true success oh well that is so encouraging i mean the way that you guys raise your kids is what's incredible but anyways yeah like katie was blessed by that yeah like katie's saying as you guys are talking more and more questions are popping into my brain i mean you even bringing up music you know the academics that you guys have you know i guess developed in your home uh and i want to get to some of those questions but you mentioned briefly you moved from new york city is that right were you in the city of new york and then you moved to Seattle, Washington. And I'm just, I, I guess what the question that comes to my mind is like, at what point did you guys think it was a good idea to start having a large family? Because neither Seattle nor New York City are necessarily like conducive to having 10 children. And yet you got to this place. Was that a journey for you? Was there an aha moment? Or was that something that you guys got married and you're like, we know what we're doing. We're going to have 10 kids. Can you tell us about that journey? Uh, we would be glad to. And and it is truly a journey mm -hmm. and it's been a blessing. Um, we've, I think I've had to learn uh, so much along the way where God's kind of had to shake me down and say, hey, you know, let me offer this path to you. Or are you really sure that you want that conviction to hold through your life? And, and as we have uh, made some changes with our uh, convictions about children, um, God's definitely taught us blessing after blessing. And, you know, I think just going back to New York, uh, where our first child was born, um, Molly was working at Goldman Sachs. So her hours were as crazy as mine were in medical school. And so we were just full on kind of doing the professional world thing. Uh, we were using birth control. We didn't had no plans for children. And then uh, decided, you know, we're getting towards the end of our time in New York. Maybe we should start thinking about that because we did know that we wanted children. And my fourth year of medical school, Drew was born. And Molly at that time really decided, uh, you know, I'm going to take my three months of time off. Mm -hmm. And then she took a fourth month off unpaid. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, no, what's <laughs> going to happen? <laughs> How am I going to do this? But um, that's really when God started to show us that he was faithful in all seasons of life. And... Uh, and, and that that's played out over the last two plus decades. But I, I remember the time that we were in Central Park. So we lived on the northeast corner of Central Park, 109th and 5th Avenue. It's called Duke Ellington Circle. And this is Spanish Harlem. And that and that was a very interesting culture shock moving into the city from West Coast. Uh, so we had six months of culture shock, but then really found the people to be fantastic. We were in a great church. We we're in Tim Keller's Redeemer Church on the Upper East Side. So we got to know a lot of community there. But I remember one day we're pushing Drew around in the city in the stroller. And, you know, people are talking to us and we're enjoying the season. And we realized, oh, 
this is what Sesame Street is about. <laughs> we caught a vision for having children in the city and we thought, wow, this is kind of incredible. There's so many opportunities and resources. Mm -hmm. Well, that I tell you what, what a great perspective to have of the city. Yeah. There's so many opportunities and resources because you're so right. And yet most of us, we want to take our kids and just head for the hills. And it's funny how even <laughs> we're doing some activities online with our kids right now. And I'm like, Elisha, there's just not very much here in Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> <laughs> there are benefits to being being in a city. Yeah, I, I mean, I tell you what, again, there's just, I wish we, I mean, I know life is long and hopefully we'll have many more conversations with you because there's so much more to your story that I want to ask questions about. Uh, so deciding that children are a good idea or that, you know, like you said, the Lord teaching you that he's faithful and then jumping to 10 children, that's like a lot of people, I think, can say, oh, the Lord changed their heart towards wanting no children to having one or two. Um, and again, you know, love so many of Tim Keller's books, but it's not like everybody that was going to his church was probably having, you know, 10 children. I'm sure, like you said, a ton of like-minded, amazing believers that you got to meet there. And so was, again, I guess I'm asking the same question, not, not that I wasn't satisfied with that, but I hope you understand your family size is a bit larger than average. And and then so I'm curious as to if there was a book that you read or if there was a time where the Lord showed you something through his word where you both went to each other and you're like, and you maybe one of you saw it before the other one where you had a conviction. I know that's been the case in my family, you know, with my parents. And, and so, or, I don't, or was it just, you just had another baby and, and then, then another, you had one. another baby. Yeah. Um, four children pretty quickly. I always wanted more children. I'm one of four. Eric was like he was always one or two like there's only two all the way back mm -hmm. but um we had four children and life was pretty busy and we went out to dinner for our 10th anniversary and eric's like i don't want any more children i'm like what we, we really i love having children so then for like a year we read um lots of nancy campbell and uh we heard a couple of conference conversations or conferences from Bodie Bauckham. And Eric one day came to me, he's like, I was so wrong. Like, why wouldn't we have as many children as God would give us? If children are a blessing, like who doesn't want a blessing? And so um, we had our fifth child, Toby. And Tobias means God is good because we felt like I was good to change our mind towards children. And so then we had, you know, six, seven, wow. eight, nine, and 10. I wish I could have had more of it. <laughs> It does uh, come like, like you said. You did good, Molly. <laughs> yes. And they each are a blessing. And something that Katie and I, again, I know other people have said this phrase is we don't just want to be, um, we just don't want to multiply. We also want to be fruitful. You know, we, we, we're being called. And, and, and when I see your children, there is not just, you know, biological life in your home. There's spiritual life. It's a vibrant home. There's character being built. There's relational life with you and your children and the siblings amongst uh, themselves. And that is something that really inspires us because of course the biological life is life. But then with that comes the, the duty, the responsibility to, to train up your children in the way that they should go. Um, and, and I see you guys doing that. So that, that really gets, gets me inspired. Katie, there was a couple questions you wanted to ask. Well, yeah. Okay. So as we're having this conversation, one that pops into mind is case okay, so you're in the city, there's all these great opportunities. There's all these people. How did you guys though, find like-minded community and people and friends and, you know, potential spouses for your children in this environment? Cause like when I think 
Seattle, um, I'm not thinking, oh, this is going to be a Mecca for these types of relationships. How did you guys go about navigating that? first of all the reason why we chose the city it wasn't just like we did love the city we loved living in the city in new york and and i love walking places i'm a huge people person but i'm also a, a home person like i like being home i've made been really intentional about how many days a week we stay home but i like people so it's nice for me to be around people but also with eric's work he needed to be pretty close to the hospitals so it wasn't like we could just live anywhere we knew we had to be within a certain radius so that's really why we chose it um but yes i mean god's people are everywhere you know like there there's i don't think there's any place that doesn't have any believer so on our in our neighborhood we certainly brought some diversity as being a large family that homeschool that sort of thing but um we've we found i actually run a homeschool co-op um it's a great christian homeschool co-op and we have over 40 families so there's there's people here and as far as spouses um well our son married somebody he met at our co-op and um it kind of has been helpful to have a daughter not too far from ages from the boys because she brings her friends home and then (laughs) 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 yes exactly so (laughs) that actually worked out in our favor but um we also have been really intentional with other like-minded families that live outside of the area so we've gone to family camp camp dwight camps um then other like family camps like that where we've been really intentional say hey we know that there's going to be a lot of people in this place that have like-minded children and um we want our children not just to find spouses but to have friends that are like-minded and um you know it's we've emphasized with our children it's really important to find friends that are going to be an encouragement to encourage you in the word and that sort of thing uh, that it makes sense for us to take the time and effort and energy to go to places where there's going to be other like-minded people. Yeah. Do you guys really feel like you're in this situation? Like, okay, it's a daily, like we're in the world, but not of it kind of situation. Or do you really feel like you just, you're really well connected and like, just like you would be in Seattle versus, you know, Idaho or Tennessee or some of these hubs, you know, where people go and try to congregate with like-minded people. How is that for you guys? Do you feel like you and your kids are always kind of on the alert or you're just like very comfortable? Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. Um, maybe, maybe what we might find is that in Seattle, we don't have as many um, like-minded uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that have the same convictions or walk in them similarly. And, and that's not to knock our, our good friends here. We really feel like we're here because of the community. And, and you know, our, our tree's been shaken a bit the last couple of years. And so we were kind of looking at all sorts of things, but we really feel like community is what has kept us here, uh, including church and like Molly mentioned, the co-op. But I, I think, um, you know, without saying that we've been enculturated by Seattle, I think we're just familiar with city life. And, and while that doesn't mean we're always interacting with people that we're going to have over for dinner, there are a lot of relationships, a lot of conversations. There's just kind of that vitality of being in city that, that I feel like we learned in New York and really have enjoyed together. Hmm. The thing I would share about Seattle, though, and I do think this is important because it is antagonistic in a lot of ways to what we stand for, what we believe. 
Um, but I used we when we were first married when we met in college and uh, we're college sweethearts and got married and lived in Tacoma just south. But living south, we we commuted kind of opposite directions. So um, Seattle's on this sound, and we commuted opposite sides of the sound. So Molly went up the west side and ran a, a local politician's Bremerton field office, so to speak. And I commuted up the east side to Seattle and was working in, in research at Children's Hospital. So we were kind of separated. And, and for young hearts, that was kind of tough. But <laughs> anyways, um, I, we actually lived very close to where I was working. And I used to drive home through this neighborhood when traffic was bad. And there was one day where I, I, I specifically petitioned God and I said, God, I would love to live in this area. And would you make that happen? And lo and behold, uh, six years later, I'm at the end of medical school and residency opens up and where is it? Well, it's in Seattle and that lands us back here. Mm -hmm. And we're in the south part of Seattle. And then I get a job in the north part of Seattle and, and we find a house in the neighborhood. So at that point, I kind of felt like, well, maybe there is something to this prayer thing. <laughs> um, and we felt, uh, we, we started to pray along the lines of, God, we see you're leading. Now build us in to the foundation of this community. And I, and I, I, I want to mention that because I think that, that God can put on our hearts his plan uh, for the future. And we had no idea what that was. We had no idea. I mean, I just happened to enjoy the neighborhood. And I thought, oh, these houses are kind of cute. This is, let's ask God about this. And it, it, so I think that conviction has held with us as we've realized that God has established around us a community of like-minded people. And we've been in some different churches, but out of all of them, we've, we've made friends. And, and so it's funny to say, but there, there's a bit of being at peace, um, even if it's not always restful, but, you know, we're at peace with, with the antagonism here or or that we are in the right place for this season well yeah i mean just that line it's you can be at peace without it being restful you know is probably a good life lesson as christians it's a really good commission to christians uh and again i feel like such a country i feel like the country mouse here you know and i felt like that when i came to visit you because as you said, you you know, a lot of people say they live in Seattle and they live in Renton or, you know, Bellevue or whatever, Bothell. And I, and, and so I think I was kind of picturing that. And then I came to your house and I was like, oh, we're in Seattle. Like we're actually in Seattle here. And the kids were like getting, riding their bikes to the U district, to grab ice cream. And your kids, their life was just doing that, right? It was walking to downtown or riding to downtown. I was going to the U district and, and, um, and I remember pulling up to your house, all the flags and all the memorabilia on the houses around you you know, they're not, you know, Christ is King flags, you know, they're, they're the, they're, they're, um, you know, rainbow flags. And they're all, all the, all the things that you said are really antagonistic to the Christian faith and, and to Christians. And that stood out to me. And I cannot tell you how much of a blessing it was then to step into your home. And it was so inspiring to realize, oh man, we can really, you know, consecrate our homes regardless of, of where we're at. And there was so much life and there was so much wholesome communication and uh, edification. And the discipleship was taking place right there. And you walk out to the front porch and look to the left and to the right. And you're like, wow, we, where are we at right now? And again, this was probably an extreme, I'm just such a country boy, you know, and, and, and the thought of having 10 children in that environment never crossed my mind, but it truly was ins inspiring. And that st stood out to Katie and I 
ever since, um, ever since being there. On more of like a practical note, you know, I mentioned the kids playing around the town, you know, riding bikes. You had eight sons, you know, and, and of course we want to get to, you know, how you've raised your daughters too, because yeah, we admire Ella. She's great. You know, like there's just so much we admire about your daughters, but we're, we're heavy on the boy side too. And I'm picturing like just your boys getting lost in the city and not coming back, you know, until, until, and you're not seeing them because as a boy, I was heading out to the country and I was heading out to the property. Was that a challenge for you to really find constructive activities for your sons? You know, cause, cause it's not like I, I know your boys, they're not these guys that are just not lacking energy. They, they're energetic. They've got vitality. They've got ambition. And so how was that raising sons in that environment where maybe I wouldn't be as comfortable just sending them out, you know, to the property? What, what was that like for you? live right across the street from an Olmstead park, actually, which is funny because in New York City, we live right across the street from Central Park. So same designer. But um, so it is a huge park. There's miles of trails. Uh, we can go across the street and be in the park and it feels like you're like out on a hike in the mountains, um, maybe minus a few tents. And um, no, there's still tents in the mountains. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the spirit. Touche. Yeah. But um, so we do have a lot of space, I guess, in a different way. Um, I walk with every day. We take a two mile walk um, before we do school uh, because same thing. I, I have all these boys and I learned really quickly that you could maybe get into like an hour or two of schoolwork after breakfast. But man, it's just the wiggle. So actually we have Bible time and then we go across the street and we walk for a couple miles um, each day and walking. I usually are walking, but they'll climb trees and play in the playground or build huge forts in the park, uh, all kinds of things like that. <clears throat> so we have that, but also our children uh, love sports. Um, we haven't participated in very many like club sports or anything like that, but Eric takes the kids to, we have a huge field, a football field, just what, two blocks away. Mm -hmm. And so Eric takes them up there all the time to play football and soccer and baseball. And um, we have used the local pools. So we have a pool just a mile from our house. So they swim often and, and that's close enough that, I mean, not very old. I'll let them walk to the pool to swim. Um, and then we also have Green Lake, which is a mile away. We're big swimmers. So we do a lot of swimming and uh, a lot of my older children worked for the city of Seattle. And so they were lifeguards. So if their brother or sister was on duty, yeah, ride your bike to the lake and go swimming. Um, and then Lake Washington is only, <clears throat> I don't know, two miles away, maybe not even that. Yeah. So we swim there a lot in the summertime. So a lot of swimming, a lot of like playing on the field, a lot of park play, but you're right at like a really young age, I wouldn't just send them across the street. Um, but I, they didn't have to get too old before, at least I would go with them or they could go with an older brother. So uh, we still are very active, even though we're in the city, there's a lot of opportunities actually to be active. Yeah, that's actually like, that's what I think when I think of your family, I think of this really active, athletic, energetic family and then I remember going to your house and we had the best barbecued peaches with the blue cheese on them yeah. oh my goodness I've tried to recreate that but it was the best at your house and it was like we filled up the whole backyard going out there to eat and so <laughs> now like having kids and having 
um, you know, in the suburbs and thinking we need to get out of here so they can like chop down a tree or something. Um, I love hearing how you just found all these local resources and we're like, these are the places we're going to be active. And it doesn't mean you have to just sit in your house. You found the resources that were available to you. And it sounds like there was a plethora of them. For sure. Now I'm curious, you've already mentioned, you know, you guys, I mean, these, these, the careers that you guys are in, it's not like, you know, you're at Goldman Sachs. It's not like you had this lighthearted career that you decided to walk away from. You're a doctor, uh, you know, Eric, you're still practicing with your children and with your philosophy and education. Is that one of those things that you have had kind of set in stone since the time you started having children? Cause already your older kids have all gone to college. You know, a couple of them have graduated now. Um, and, and that's a big question for homeschoolers, for Christian families, looking at the state of academia, you know, again, you guys were, like you said, you could walk to the university of Washington. So that kind of puts you in a unique situation there. But as you guys are training your children up and you're educating them at home, do you have kind of a philosophy around that, around higher education, around college, or has it been something that has been like case by case, you know, scenarios, child by child, where as, as they're developing, you're thinking, man, would this be a good opportunity, a good fit? Or could you kind of speak, speak to that topic? Yes. Especially too. just, I would add to that as you have eight sons and that's like eight providers, you know, that, that's an excellent question. Um, and so, uh, you know, just maybe both finishing college, you kind of, uh, you kind of established benchmarks, I guess that's why that's what we did. And I guess that's what we'll train our kids to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, um, recognizing that God has called us to some things that are different. We started holding things with, you know, kind of palms up, mm-hmm. open hands. Okay, God, we're going to head a direction. But how does, it, you know, the proverb goes, a man establishes the way in his heart and God establishes a step. So um, Molly has done a fantastic job of kind of guiding a lot of the curriculum. But I think both, both, both of our, and, and really the implementation of that, both of our interest has been in preparing our children to be able to go into um, college education if they're interested. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that we, uh, we wouldn't say we expect it or lord it over them. I think like you're alluding to, Katie, we do expect that our boys understand that they need to have a career that can mm-hmm. provide for their family. And if that happens to be accomplished through the tool of higher education, then um, we feel confident that when higher education is framed like that, a tool that serves the purpose of providing for family and moving in a career, then that's a reasonable um, pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you know the backside to that, right? So we're not a big fan of going to school for the experience. Um, and and there, there are a lot of conversations around that, especially in the homeschool community. But I, I think um, we've been pleased to see it used as a tool and really for the benefit of both Drew and Zach and Drew, who is now providing for a family and Zach, who is immediately employed, mm-hmm. I think, within a month after being out of school. So mm-hmm. that's been encouraging. But I, I think why we would maintain that as an option for, uh, you know, the rest of the boys uh, and the girls to come. Um, it, it's not something that we would necessarily expect. Am I saying that right? Or Yeah, you don't have to go to yeah. college. Um we do think that those years, like 17 to 22, 23, those are really productive years. Those are years you can really be planning for the future, whether that's looking at trades or higher education or learning some other trade or, you know, something maybe doesn't require college, but 
you do have to go and learn something. Uh, so we would, I mean, college is kind of the easy way, right? Because they tell you exactly what to do and how to do it. But we know people that have started businesses and people that have gone into trades, all of those things are great. We wouldn't tell our children that they have to go to college, but we would say, hey, use these years, 17 to 23, to really be headed towards a career as a, a male. Um, boys, we're going to be more you know, emphasize that more because they're going to be providing. So you need to be really aiming for that. So Drew went to the University of Washington and studied um, military science. He's an officer in the army. And then Zachary uh, was part of the Foster School of Business and he is working in sales. Ella has a degree too. She has an associate's degree from Liberty online. And um, Daniel was really up in the air, actually. He really thought about trades, it was just that he just wasn't exactly sure what he wanted to do. And he just loves engineering, physics, that kind of thing. And so he decided to go to the community college first and see if he still wanted to pursue engineering and he loves mechanical engineering. And so he's pursuing that right now. I love how you phrase that. Like he didn't really know what he was going to do. And so you were like, okay, well, let's let's do this, let's check out the college route. Because like you said, it is this path that's laid out for you. And I think that's something that we see a lot from maybe who, um, more like rugged individualist entrepreneurial types who like, you know, we grew up with and and know a lot of, and it's, and it's incredible, an incredible mindset. But sometimes you could just like outlaw college and then you end up spinning those years from 17 to 23, just spinning your wheels doing who knows what because you can't gain traction anywhere and that's something that we've talked a lot about like we really want to avoid that for our kids like you said they're so productive you could do so much because the foundation's been laid and then you don't have the dependence or responsibility yet of a family and uh, we really want to help our children maximize those years and so I loved how um, that is your focus is like really pour into something really maximize this time don't just squander it uh because that's really easy to do too. Just, just spend your life socializing, socializing for five, five years, you know? You know? Oh yeah. yeah. No doubt. And I think being in the city stresses that point because it's so expensive. I mean, it is incredibly expensive. And mm-hmm. so um, if like, we are not opposed to our, our sons working and being productive and then helping them. I mean, that's one of the ways that we were able to help the two older boys at college is that basically their room and board was covered. Yeah. Because they lived here. Because they lived here, right? So it was a mile up the street. So that facilitated, you know, 50% savings in the cost of going to school. And that just gets them that much further down the road to being able to provide. Yeah, you know, so I heard you say a couple things, and and I think it it is good insight because for good reason, a lot of people, maybe based off of their college experience or what the common college experience is or the perception of the common college experience is, you're kind of like, well, I know I want nothing of that you know, for my children. And and so they, they throw the, all of the whole option out and you guys have already spoken to a couple things. One, your children being able to live with you, you know, because of the the access that you had to the university of Washington and to community colleges, uh, right there. And then the, the online option, as you already mentioned to with, with Liberty. And I think that as you, again, you know, where your children are at in their faith and their character and their development, you want them to be productive. And I think that there are 
saying, you know, I'm pro college or anti college, that's such a big statement on either side, you know, because it's like, well, what, you know, well, what do you mean by that? Which part of it, you know, because I, because we're certainly not opposed to our, our sons and daughters being productive, you know, to, to bettering themselves, to growing in capabilities, to growing their income potential. Those are, I mean, those are great things uh, for our children to be able to pursue. And I like how you kind of distinguish all those different ways that you guys, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, UW, alma mater, all of our kids, you're thinking like, well, no, we'll see how it goes. Um, and I really appreciate that. I do want to ask real quickly, though, because you mentioned you wanted your kids to be able to or equipped to prepare to. And uh, I mean, even just mentioning foster, it's not like that's nothing. You know what I mean? Not not everybody gets in to foster right there. And so even, you know, going to Zach, something was probably having to happen in the in those homeschooled years. And I'm curious as to how that was, Molly, being at home. And, and obviously, Eric, you were a part of this this too. You, again, that can be one of the most intimidating things as a homeschool parent. It's like, where's where's my kid at? What was that journey like for you as a as a homeschool mom asking that question? Am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? You know, what's how, how am I preparing mm-hmm. my children? Because I mean, I tell you what, my mom's like my fa- my hero. She's like the m- most capable woman I know. And yet that was a daily doubt in her brain you know, bringing all of our, us children up. I think it's a common, common doubt in homeschool mothers' brains. So what was that journey like for you? Well, first of all, I'd like to say like, once, once you have a few successes, it's like feels so much better because you're like, oh, okay, see, it does work. And so even if you only have younger children, you can look at people like us and say, hey, it does work. Like our kids can go to college. And I've seen people really succeed in college or outside of college with lots of different sort of homeschooling. It doesn't, it's not a perfect formula. It doesn't have to be, oh, if you do this curriculum and this curriculum, then you'll get that. I I really don't think so. I think you can use all kinds of curriculum. And now there's so much out there. I can't even look at those like curriculum tables and stuff because it's like overwhelming. Like, wow, I really think you can do so much with actually very little. Um, But you know, I was, I'll probably have like rotten tomatoes thrown at me for this, but I was a fan of the um, Michael Pearl's book, Training Up a Child, when I was, when I was a younger mother. So um, I know there's controversy around that, but there, I just found a lot of uh, good things in that, but I couldn't relate because we didn't have horses or cows or pigs in, in the book. He just talks about training children with basically a lot of farm work. And I was like, I, how am I going to do this? I don't have any of these things. I don't have to carry hay or water or anything. But what I realized that you can use all kinds of things to train your children to be disciplined and for hard work. And so at our house, we might not have had like farm chores or anything, but we have a lot of academics that I can use to train hard work. So I mean, mix that in with obviously time for boys to be boys and play hard. But I have kind of high expectations on getting your work done and doing it well and and I use those, that hard work to teach them to be obedient and to follow through, to be diligent and all of those traits that I wanted to see in my children that I wanted to train them in, I could use academics for. So um, yeah, we, we have, uh, I guess, somewhat high standards, but certainly not impossible. And um, Eric is science, science guru. So he <laughs> took all the science for us and I did more of the like humanities and literature and that sort of thing. And don't get me wrong, our children weren't just like beat over the head with academics all day at all, but we just were consistent. And I think you can be consistent with 
all different kinds of curriculum. And if somebody says to me like, oh, what math did you use? Because, you know, it must have worked. I would say there's lots of different math curriculums. A lot of them will work. I think the most important thing is to teach your children to be obedient and to follow through and to be diligent. And if you have those things in place, then, you know, they'll be teachable. So. Wow. I mean, there are so many nuggets right there that you just uh, shared. So, so thank you for that. And I even, I love that mindset because like you said, it's so easy to, to look at like the tactics and the, and the training that the pearls offer and be like, well, I don't have a property. Like, you know, I don't have a pond to throw my, throw my kids into <laughs> so they can learn how to swim or whatever that crazy story story is. Like, how, how do I apply that? Uh, and, but with a teachable attitude, you know, just with this mindset of like, okay, I'm going to take some principles from this. What's, what are the big ideas, the concepts? Cause you know, the world you're living in. And I really appreciate that mindset. I know it's an attitude that Katie and I want to have. Anytime you're reading a book, you're getting help from somebody. And if you, if you have a closed off mind, you're like, well, easy for you to say, you know, you've got, you've got 150 acres to send your kids out to, or easy for you to say, you guys are in the city. You've got colleges all, all around. You can say that regardless of, of what people's scenarios are. So I really appreciate that attitude. Yeah. And I just, I think you guys represent such a unique dichotomy because when I hang out with your family, all your kids are so, well, all the ones I've met are like social and bubbly and outgoing and friendly. And you just think, oh, this is just such a fun, loving, down for a good time family. And then you see what your kids have done academically and are continuing to do. And it's not the stereotype of what you picture the homeschool family that's got the high standards. And I love that. I love that you guys just have I feel like you have all your priorities in the right order and it's not either or. You can have a really high standard for your kids academically and they can still have a good time and, you know, let their hair down and be kids. And and I think you guys have just done that balance so well. So that's really encouraging for me because I would like to have high academic standards for our kids. Um, but also I, I want that fun loving side too. So I admire that. I'm curious. Um, Okay, so you mentioned the math thing, though, so I just do have to ask. Did you use the same math for all your kids, or did you did you change it up? Drew, you know, he's the first pancake. I always tell him I had to, like, adjust the skillet and try again. But um, I, so I, I changed things around a little bit for him, but actually pretty much consistently I've just used the rod and staff math. I okay. think I I think each book is like $11 or something. I mean, it's like super reasonable. Um, and that gets me to pre-algebra um, or algebra. And then we've used um, Jacobs. We've used Forrester. We've used um, mostly those. But uh, at, at okay. that level, about algebra level, I do. We have an instructor that I pay actually to do. on. Yeah, that was another question I had. When did you outsource or how? Uh, yeah just for anything like for your kids academically or not swimming did they take lessons did you guys do clubs like how did you navigate that outsourcing with a large family because it's really cool to be able to take advantage of opportunities but it can also be logistically really challenging so like how did that look like for you guys oh actually we do have the co-op on Fridays so that is like our day out and we have a lot of classes there Eric teaches high school science and we have just some really, really talented people that teach all across the board. So that's some outsourcing that takes place. Um, the math has been either through co-op, <clears throat> excuse me, or <clears throat> sorry, or an online class. Um, 
but I've actually made it a priority to be home those other four days. So we have that day Friday where it's, we're out and about, we're at the co-op and we're gone all day. But the other four days, I've pretty much been at home. Um, mostly, you know, when they were all young, I had napping children and all this stuff. And it was just really hard for me to spend more time out. So I've been really consistent in staying home four days and having that one day as being the big out day and you know, the children that were napping, that was kind of a hard day for them, but the other days it was consistent. So that's kind of how I've kept a balance just as far as I needed to be home a lot to get done all the things I wanted to finish at home. Um, so the outsourcing had to work either on that Friday or, you know, through the internet or um, some, some other way. I didn't mind like walking to swim lessons or something, but for the most part, those four days had to be home for swimming. We did um, swimming lessons in the summer and really close by. Um, and then actually my older children became swim instructors. So <laughs> I could take swim lessons from them. And then we've been involved like a summer swim team here um, in the city, which is just six weeks in the summer, but it has done a few things. Actually, it's been an amazing way for us to build community in the city. Mm -hmm. Obviously when you walk in someplace, like in Seattle, where a lot of people have one child, maybe two, and you walk in with 10, it's like quite the conversation starter. So we um, have built up a lot of relationships in the city that way, but um, they became really good swimmers. When you swim like five days a week for six weeks, it's great. They became good swimmers that way. So we utilize that. But. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's an ongoing conversation with us, our children are so young. We, 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 you know, we just have the five children and yet you can, I could predict our life being run ragged by going from extracurricular activity to extracurricular activity. And something we really want to be conscientious of is just protecting our, our home time. It's like, we, that is where we thrive, you know, like our marriage thrives there, the children thrive there. And we want it to be a, you know, just really like an incubator of life so that we then can go out and of course have impact in the community. It's not that we're just being selfish with our time. It's like, no, this is the best use to that you, you we're of greater impact when we were able to prioritize that time at, at home. But it's also really tempting to outsource too. Every year our kids get older, there's more opportunities. And I bring things to Elisha probably weekly where I'm like, what about this? What about this? And so I don't know, it's just hard to choose what to do. But yeah, you know, something I'm curious of, you've got young adults, you, you still have young, you know, children that are not young adults. And I mean, even the difference probably of Seattle in 2018 versus Seattle 2020. I mean, just what a what a crazy life there till till now. And of course, there's a crazy, you know, just our culture, you could easily say it's crazy, you know, the politically you're going what's going on. I'm curious as to how you instill a vision into your children, you know, because I, I just think it's so important for young people to be able to you per pursue a spouse, say, I want to get married. I want to be able to have children. Yeah. I want to invest my time wisely now so that down the road that requires some level of a vision, right? Future thinking, a long-term career. Yeah. A long-term yeah. career. It requires you putting in the, in good effort, you know, hard effort now, quality effort. And so what are things that you do to kind of instill that long-term vision in your children, you know, during a time that many Christians see as being bleak, and maybe even maybe even hopeless for Christians. What what, what is your guys's kind of like encouragement to young people? Great, great question. I feel like we revisit this topic all the time. Mm -hmm. So one, um, 
not that the answers always change, but that it's it's good to go over the basics. And and one of the uh, important uh, aspects that we feel like of our marriage is that we've been in unity uh, as far as purpose, plan, calling. And when a, a marriage uh, walks in unity over time, there are some wonderful things that happen. Mm -hmm. And so while early on, um, we had to carve out what that unity was about. And that's where we lost things like this idea that I want to retire at 55 and, you know, live on a golf course, you know, so those kind of things. And we said, okay, God, what if our lives were putting your hands and you were truly the potter and we were the clay? What does that look like? And so once we, we, honed the edge, I guess, that leading edge of what we wanted to be about, which was kingdom building, building and, and the gospel. And then when we became convinced of the importance of the next generation, as God works generationally, do we not see that in his word? And so you catch a vision that we're a part of his work through generations. So that's really the, that guiding, uh, leading purpose that, that helps us make a lot of decisions because we can go into that point of decision and say, okay, we want to value family because God has called us to family. It's one of his basic institutions. So then we, we want to live like he has called family to be, you know, man and woman with children, um, hoping to see your children's children. And so that right there, wow. I mean, you can unpack that forever, but that has always been at the forefront of what we wanted to do. And I think that was the work that God was building into us from the Sesame Street days with Drew in New York, all the way through homeschooling and then leaving the number of children into God's hands. And he continues to hone us in that direction. So casting vision, um, I, I think first starts with having vision and then, you know, and dare we say it, having the right vision. Right. I think that God has established marriage and relationship for blessing and he does bless. And so as we've tried to walk in that and press into that and then you 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 start to realize this is God's kingdom. When when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then, wow, we're we're doing what God was teaching us to pray. We are building that kingdom. And so that then supports the conviction that is uh, the underpinnings of our unity. And so then all of these things fall naturally out of that. So mm -hmm. that I think is the most important thing. And, and notice we're not trying to engineer the thoughts of our children with this conversation. We're not trying to manipulate. We're trying to walk faithfully in mm -hmm. the calling of a husband and wife before God and he kind of does the heavy lifting. Now, you know, does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we have all the answers? No. Does that mean our kids recognize that? Yes. Right. But that's mm -hmm. part of the process. They appreciate that we have warts and lumps and don't always get it right. So I, 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 I would say that's the, the big piece. But then well, um, but joy is a, the, one yeah. other thing I would add if you you have to have joy because if it just looks like laborious work oh my goodness yeah you're not gonna pass that on oh yeah that's really hard so i would say that's kind of our conviction and the crux yeah and, and practically speaking we do do we um do 
family devotions every morning and every evening. Um, and you know, all our education is faith-based. And I think, you know, when the children walk around in our neighborhood and they see all kinds of things right now, right. You'll see the trans people or, you know, other arrangements and all this thing that that doesn't look appealing because those people generally look depressed and sad and forlorn where they're living in a house with two people that are really happy and praising God and grateful for all that he's done for us. And with other siblings that are happy and fun, like why would you want, you wouldn't want to trade that in for something else when there is so much life. And so, yeah, I think when you're outside of the house and you look at what the world has to offer, it doesn't actually look that appealing, honestly. Um, whereas if we can show them, you know, that, Hey, look how good God is. Look at how wonderful he is. When we, when we do our schoolwork and we say, Oh my goodness, look at how amazing this thing is that God created. Let's just stop and thank him for the butterfly or for this invention or this amazing math concept, whatever it is, <clears throat> you're constantly teaching them. These, all these good things come from the Lord and they're, they're good and great. And he's to be praised. When you have that, you know, you'll be in the world regardless if you're in the city or in the country or wherever. And so you show them that, hey, life in God is great. This is a good place to be. And it's fun and it, it's not perfect and there's challenges, but we have answers to that too because he's good and he's been faithful even when we've had hard times. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. awesome. Man, I tell yeah. you what. I, I wanted to like start clapping, stand up and start clapping when both of you were speaking because I, I need to hear that. That stuff just gets me so fired up. Uh, like you said, I, I love the practical, but I, I forget what you said, Eric, but there's there is a there's girth to this conviction. You know, there's a substance, a foundation to this conviction. It's it's not built on on sand. There is substance to it. And and being able to establish that and then walk in that as a married couple, and you talking about the unity, I think is so powerful. And then and then the joy, being able to exemplify the true blessing that marriage is, that marriage can be, that God that the marriage that God intended, you know, for his children to walk in. I so relate with that, just the appeal of how I was raised and wanting that, you know, wanting a marriage like my parents' marriage, wanting children that enjoyed their life as much as I enjoyed my life, you know, wanting that peace and that freedom and that joy that came from a relationship with Christ. And, but I don't think we hear that talked about a lot in Christian circles is winning our children through that appeal versus we hear the teaching side and we have the discipleship side and those are so important um but you know when I think of friends that I had in high school that are no longer walking with the Lord you know they felt like the Bible was beat over their heads but they didn't want anything that they saw in their home and they thought everyone else was having a way better time over there and that's not what we want for our families because we do have the ultimate blessing and the ultimate joy and peace and these supernatural gifts of the spirit with Christ and, and I don't know, the way you said it was just like, yeah. wow, I want to embody that to my children. Yeah. First and yeah. foremost. That was, so, that was so cool to hear. And uh, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And, and I'm curious, you know, uh, there, I want to move on from this here in, in a second, but, um, you know, you talked about, yeah, again, just maybe general conversation around children, even in Christianity, is, is it's looked at as a burden. It's not looked at as a blessing. And so oftentimes we treat them that way. 
you know, marriage isn't looked at as a blessing. It's looked at as the old ball and chain. You know, even those jokes are even made in the church. You know, that this it's it's ridiculous. It's it's a shame that this, you know, this most glorious institution that God has created here on earth is talked about in such a demeaning, condescending way. And yet you said when you believe that it is glorious, when you believe that it is great and you lean into that, it doesn't mean it comes easily. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, it, what, what did you say early on? It does, you can have peace even though it's not restful. It doesn't always mean that it's restful, right? Raising children, raising up warriors. But when you lean into the blessing, I think it, it really it really does show. And I kind of want to, you know, there's a juxtap- maybe juxtaposed opinion, and that is the the of the world, okay? Because like you said, you guys see some far more extreme things, probably some more extreme displays of sin than what we might see in Quarter Lane, but sin is sin. And and I'm curious as to how you've navigated that with your young children, you know, with even sexual temptation and boys. I mean, that's a big time conversation, you know, and, and, uh, and again, obviously it's something that we're going to be talking about here. And yes, I, I always saw the blessing of family, but sin was at some point, it's going to have an appeal, right? There's going to be an allure there where you're going to really fall on your face and be like, oh, I need the grace. I need the grace of God. You know, this is this is the, where the grace of God. And so how has that dynamic been in that environment, you know, where maybe sin is more openly on display than it is in other places? Has that presented more conversations than maybe what other people would have? about that um but it it definitely creates a lot of opportunity and i i think uh you know that classic saying uh the of how do you teach a bank teller to recognize counterfeit money you don't give them counterfeit you give them the real thing so um playing that into you know our christian walk um we have to know the word of god you have to have uh, a compass. You have to know which way is up because you will find yourself upside down and underwater at some point. And that means your your theology may be challenged, your conviction may be challenged. Some really bright person might stump you on something. And we all know that throws you for a loop. So uh, our hope has been in the word of God. And, you know, like Solomon says, that's the word of God that's like the goads that keeps the cattle going in the right direction. And our conviction is that, you know, that we hold is that we as humans, we need some restraint, right? Man, unbridled mankind and the heart is wicked. And, um, you know, we've, we've all seen that and we know that, but how do we, we live intentionally with that? And, and that's where our conviction comes back to the word of God. So morning and night. Um, just trying to be regular in the word personally mm-hmm. as a couple and then certainly as a family. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that is, I, I would say, a safeguard, a hedge against some of these egregious things that we see. Now, sometimes if you if you have that framework, then seeing things that are outside of those bounds, a lot of that just is distasteful. Mm-hmm. But then there are, are those things that have an appeal. And then that's where you have to flesh out some of those details. And, and I, I would say, as the father of eight sons, I haven't always gotten that right. And, and I've had to have some, you know, conversations with my older sons where they, they would have said, hey, you know, we think you should have done this or you should have done that. And so, and, and those are good. And, and it's, it's hard to get that feedback, but it's important, especially when you still have um, children in the home. And so I, I think... Uh, you know, being willing to to be right and to be wrong is probably a good way to do that. I mean, uh, you know, the classic example is when do you have the talk? 
And that it, I, I still don't know that I have a good answer for that. And, and, you know, sometimes people say, you've got to have the talk, you've got to have the talk. Well, um, you can do that too early. And the downside is you can do that too late. <laughs> so, and it's different. It's different with everyone. So it, it's just important to recognize that, yes, there are talks to be had and there are situations to be wise about. And um, I, our, our hope is in the strength of the word of God and, and in the conviction um, that his word bears on our hearts. And so just having that metric, I think, really helps. And, and that's then, so encouraging. Yeah, just being willing to work with those shortcomings. Yeah. You know, just the fact that your sons are able to have that conversation with you later now, I think means that you did do something right. You know, that there is a relationship now because I, well, me and my older, you know, we, we like my brothers and I love our dad. And the fact that we can go back and say, you know, you you said this when we were like, whatever, this age. And I don't know what, you, it was weird, you know, and I, I would have done it different. And and the fact that we can do that just goes to show how much we love our relationship with our dad, you know, and how much we, we, we respect him. And so I'm really planning on my sons coming to me when they're grown men saying like, what, dad, what in the world? You, you said this, that, and that. It made me think this. Why'd you, yeah. <laughs> you will get to say, and yes, you will have the opportunity to go tell your sons. <laughs> yeah. You could do it perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so well, good. we want to honor your time. We're so thankful that you guys have got on here today to spend your evening with us. There's nothing in it for you aside from just encouraging us mm. and encouraging our audience. And that just means so much. I wanted to real quickly, though, talk on like 2020. You mentioned shaking the tree and you were in medicine in 2020, which you know, there was a lot going on. How did that change for your family? Because at this point, you're living in a super expensive city. You have a ton of kids. What did you guys do? And, and how did that look like to where you guys are at now? Fair question. And yes, uh, the world has turned upside down. So now in my 50s, I've had the opportunity to kind of start all over. There was a big reset. And so in, in 2020, I was working for the University of Washington in the Department of Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Great job. Um, a lot of fun, a lot of great colleagues and challenging work. And, and it was close by, just down the street. So it was kind of a dream situation. And then COVID came down and you know we started uh, moving some things to Zoom. I was working in clinics, still seeing patients face-to-face -face in tiny little rooms. And it wasn't for probably about a month that uh, after we were into that in March. Uh, so by April, we were wearing masks in the clinic and then they wanted us to wear goggles and all these things. And, and um, it was it, all the chaos that you know. Well, the Washington state had a vaccine mandate that was put in place by the governor and that affected all state workers. And as a University of Washington employee, um, it was mandated. And so the date was October 18th of 21. And I, we knew that that was coming up, but uh, Drew and Natalie's wedding was in September. So that was kind of our focus coming up to that time. So as, as the, the mandate date drew near, I started to get some emails and say, hey, you're not, you're not uh, meeting our criteria. We want you to know that you, you need to get vaccinated. And I really just uh, felt no compulsion uh, to get vaccinated. And, and there, there, there are a lot of reasons, um, but I, I was starting to see some um, difficulties in my patients um, post-vax that I hadn't seen 
Prevax. And my patients were telling me I didn't have to tell them what was going on. And so I, I didn't feel like this was a, a wise thing to be doing. And so in um, on the 18th, uh, I was let go by the University of Washington. So fired under the, the state mandate. And uh, by that time, I had seen 4,000 patients um, estimating in the clinic uh, from the onset of the pandemic until the time I was let go. I, actually, I should say fired until I was fired. And there, there were no incidences of transmission of virus, hospitalization, or death based on my patient care contract, contact that we know of. But they um, called me a threat to their patients and uh, dismissed me. So that threw us into um, kind of a topsy-turvy situation. And uh, we, we learned to uh, trust in God uh, for the next, uh, I guess it's been two, uh, almost two and a half years. And things have looked very, very different. So um, we've been on, um, what is it called? Uh, food stamps and yeah. uh, unemployment and uh, have burned through um, resources like retirement and that kind of thing. So we are, we are curiously in a very tenuous place right now. And uh, uh, what we have seen, so that's kind of the downside, right? That, that's the, <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good. And no, it's not. <laughs> but um, what we've seen is that God has, one, he's been faithful. And so when, when we've prayed, give us this day our daily bread, boy, does that mean something? I mean, and, and God has been faithful because we, we do have a big family and we've not once been hungry. Um, you know, um, uh, I, there's just, just such a volume of, of things that I'm thinking, but um, we've started to recognize, and we were talking about this earlier that, you know, we, we have incrementally been walking away from some of society's institutions. So education, right? We've homeschooled, um, walking away from family planning. You know, we have, we ultimately wound up what, with what God would give us. And then, you know, churches as sometimes looked a little different for us and community and those kind of things. So we're kind of in a place now where we're asking those questions about medicine, you know, could medicine look different than what we've known? You know, I'm a 25, 27, eight year product of institutional medicine. And, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, there, I've got a skill and it's something I love doing. But what I didn't realize is I was being inculcated with an ideology and an institutional mindset. And so right now um, we're starting a business called Dr. Afoot. And it's actually about almost two years uh, in the making now. And I'm starting to see patients on a direct um basis, which means I come into home. So we're back to home, home care, home, home-based uh, businesses. And uh, so today I saw a couple of patients and what that looks like is I, I carry my bags and, and my paperwork. So I do paper charts now again, which is kind of fun. And you generally go and spend about an hour a visit uh, with patients um, just in their home. And, and it has been um, an absolute blessing. It's been an incredible way to practice medicine. It's been wonderfully relational. Um, patients feel like they get all their questions answered. They have my undivided attention. Mm -hmm. So this has become something that we never saw coming, <laughs> nor would have anticipated. But um, and and while it's not yet um, um, sufficient employment, I guess I'll say. <laughs> It is um, something that is growing and that we're hoping can branch into a larger community of 
uh, like-minded physicians, um, including um, there's a group in Moscow, Idaho, called Veritas Surgery that is trying to put together um, surgery packages that are approachable um, outside of kind of, again, insurance-based care and institutional medicine. So wow. uh, it's really, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, I'm still doing contract work in system, um, but my heart is kind of in, in a little different direction right now. Wow. So, um, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to tell in the last two years, but, but we would undeniably say God is faithful. I mean, we've really been down to our last penny and, you know, a check shows up there. or, you know, uh, someone just says, uh, Hey, I ordered you guys some food from Costco or, or whatever the case is. Right. So that that's been a, a very interesting journey, but, uh, but we're grateful. And, um, and I, and I think that the work that God has established in the home um, has also then allowed this to be an encouragement to our children who are now starting to, to recognize the value of family next generationally, meaning how can we intentionally build community around each other to help support each other? So it's interesting, but we've been watching our children now have questions or, or conversations around the lines of how can we live intentionally close to each other? How can we have businesses that dovetail together? How can we encourage uh, each other? you know, through the next generation. So those, those are the kind of blessings um, that you just, you know, just see God develop and you say, Lord, thank you. I never saw this coming. Um, nor would have I moved in these directions had you not nudged us. So I, I hopefully we're, we're taking this in stride and recognizing that God has used this season um, maybe less as a chastisement um, and, and more as a plan with a purpose for the generations that are to come. So that's kind of what we're chewing on right now, but wow. Yeah. Tell you what, thank you so much for sharing that. That is yeah. quite, quite the story. And it seems like it's almost just beginning in a lot of ways, right? Like, like you said, here you are in your, you said you're in your fifties looking good. You guys are both looking, looking great. And, and yet it's like, man, a full new chapter of life. And I know, you know, are there, is there a way people can follow along? We want to link your website you know, are people able to follow along to, to what's happening with Dr. Afoot? Uh, cause I know we'd love to follow along, you know, see, see how this, what this, the rest of the story. I want to move to Seattle and go to their home, their, their homeschool co-op and everything. Yeah. I don't think we're going to do that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but is there a way for people yeah. other than your website? Is that the best place for people to find you? That is definitely kind of the, the, Upfront page, we've got Google profile with great reviews. Um, Dr. Afoot, D-R-A-F-O-O-T, www.drafoot.com. And then we have a, a Facebook page um, with some activity on it. So uh, that's the stretch for me. I mean, that's, mm, boy, that's a challenge. Right? That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Not my wheelhouse, but we're, <laughs> we're trying to get that. Yeah. yeah, and that will be awesome. Just if our listeners could share this yeah. and let people know, I think what an incredible opportunity to, like you said, start, I mean, we're in a new era as far as people want personalized care and we want to ditch the, the machinery, the, the, the mechanism, know, yeah. the me mechanism of the system. The whole yeah. system. It's like, we want things to be more efficient and less annoying. And well, more also, personal. I think we want to work with Christians too. Yes, I mean, I think that's just a Christians. real thing, you know, uh, that, that, like you said, it's, um, like, I mean, you bet you mentioned how grateful you are, you know, for, for your career and all of that. And obviously, 
you know, we, we are grateful for so much of modern medicine, but then there is something to say, Hey, is there an, is there an alternative to what we know as being the norm and how we, and how are we able to get these, these, these treatments, well, you know, in the service has this modern medicine skill set, but is able to take it outside the hospital. Yes. Like yeah. how cool is that? It's it years is. and years and years and years of, of training and work and education. And I think, um, something that stands out to me just as you share this, like, I just want to have the faith that you guys have and the marriage that you have and the relationships you have because you didn't you just don't ever arrive in life and people it could really be like it could be really easy to think oh we did those years we did those years when it was really hard and now things are going good you know we have the dream job we have the comfortable house we're having grandbabies and it's like and then god totally turns the world upside down and you just see where your hope is and it mm. wasn't in those things. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of relationships that I want to be surrounded by. And so thank you guys so much for sharing that and that vulnerability, <laughs> uh, because I really think it's encouraging. Um, it's, it's encouraging to me. Yeah, it so is. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both so much for, thank you for your time. Uh, yeah, blessings on your family. You. Yeah. We'd love, hopefully we can keep talking with you guys for many years to come. Thank Ella for setting up <laughs> the technology tonight. For sure. Appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much too. We really appreciate your work and again, your intentionality yeah. and your obvious love for each other and your unity, right? In purpose and vision and, and may God continue to bless that and grow your family. Awesome. awesome. Thank, thank you, you guys. guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take care.